This episode will have a special extended B-side cut exclusively on spinitpod.com, so be sure to swing on by and check it out. I've listened to Red by Taylor Swift for a year. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me, as always, is Connor. It's me! Heck yeah! This week, we're doing what's probably our most requested episode of all time. I mean, like, nearly constantly. Yeah, yeah, this one this one gets requested a lot. A lot, a lot. And I'm pretty sure, right off the bat, listen, we're talking about Taylor Swift today. You hardcore Swifties out there... You may have thoughts about what we say, and that's okay. You may have thoughts that we picked the wrong album, and that's okay, too. Go easy on us. That's my point. Please. <laughs> yeah. Show mercy. Show, show mercy, yeah. Well, actually, in my experience, Swifties have been fantastically nice. They invaded my city and took over a couple months ago, but they were all very nice when they did it. You're a Swiftie. You're saying that because you're one of them. No, I'm not fully one of them, but definitely I've become, I've converted, I've come around a lot. You're a Swifty light. Yeah, yeah, right. What about you? What's your experience with Taylor Swift like? Nothing post-country era. N- wow, okay. So you're talking like, what, 2000? Other than like, you know, the popular stuff on the radio and the internet and all that jazz. I'm just saying I haven't like listened to like a Taylor Swift album since she left the country world. That's been a while. So what, like, do you con- where do you consider her country world to end? Are you talking like Speak Now? Are you talking Fearless? Around that time. I remember Fearless coming out. So basically, a vast majority of her career, you've been not a Swifty. Yeah, at this point. What's the opposite of a Swifty? A a slowy? (laughs) Yeah, I think a slowy. I don't know if there's really a term, but that's what we'll go with. I used to be there. I used to be a slowy. But when Lover came out in 2019, I was awake at midnight because that's what I did all the time back then. (laughs) And I saw Lover drop on my Spotify. And I looked at it and I was like, oh... I'm going to listen to this and see how much it sucks, how much I hate it. That's really what I did. And I spite listened to it and I clicked play and I was like, okay, well, the first track was pretty good. Let's see how much I hate the second track. And I was like, okay, that one was even better. Surely, (laughs) like, when's it get bad? And I listened to the entire album all the way through at midnight when it released. And I was like, that was a really good album. And so that was the point in my life where I converted and I stopped being a hater. And I was like, okay, maybe there's something here. I mean, after that, we'll we'll get into it eventually. But then she did Folklore and Evermore and I started working through her back catalog. And here we are today. Here we are. I've listened to all the albums now. We're prepared. Ta-da. Also, buckle up. This is going to be a long one. We've got a B-side. And we're a B-side in it. Yeah. It's- if you're not on the B-side, get over there. Real Swifties listen to the B-side on spinitpod.com. Yeah. No, it's going to be a long episode. I started taking notes. I was like, dang, there are a lot of notes. And then this is already a long album, too. Anyway, all of the content will be on the B-side. The rest of it will be in listenable portions here. Woohoo! We've talked about Taylor Swift a lot on this podcast. The first time I think she came up was episode three, because we talked about Kanye West, and I'm gonna let you finish. Yeah. You didn't even understand that reference when I tried to make it. Yeah, no, I didn't. And now look how far we've come, 110 episodes later. Wow. Yeah, we also talked about her on our Eric Church episode. Last week, we introduced her to the spin cycle on the Earth, Wind, and Fire episode. We really are knocking her off quick. Why this week, you ask? 
Ahem. Why this week, you ask? Why this week? Good question. I'm glad you asked. That's because this week is episode 113. I figured we should do something a little special for the Taylor Swift episode. Taylor Swift's lucky number is 13, and that is due in part to the fact that it's her birthday. She was born on December 13th, 1989. She was born in Reading, Pennsylvania, and grew up on a Christmas tree farm with her family. Wow. Which sounds great for like one month out of the year. And then the rest of the time... (laughs) The rest of the time, it's awful. (laughs) It's just nobody's coming to buy any Christmas trees. What do we do? Can't afford to keep the shop open. When she was nine, she started participating in musical theater. She took vocal lessons in New York City. She was inspired a lot by country artists like Faith Hill, Shania Twain, and the like. So definitely, I mean, you talk about knowing her in her country era. That is firmly where her roots are. When she was 11, she made her first trip to Nashville with her mom to try and shop around basically karaoke CDs of country songs. Taylor performed some songs at RCA Records and earned herself a development deal, which I think you already know about because you mentioned development deals on our Ray Stevens episode, right? Like a tryout contract for the record label. Yeah. So she starts taking trips to Nashville to fulfill this RCA contract, like a lot of trips to Nashville. Like so many trips to Nashville that her family says, screw it. We're moving down there. So at 14, she starts living and going to school in Hendersonville, Tennessee. One day, she's playing a show at Nashville's famous Bluebird Cafe. While she's at the Bluebird Cafe, she gets noticed by Scott Borchetta, who's starting his very own record label called Big Machine. So she signs to Big Machine. She releases her self-titled debut album in 2006, and it peaked at number five on the Billboard 200. And it stayed there, here's a fact, stayed there longer than any other release in the 2000s at 157 weeks in the Billboard 200. It's like three years (laughs) It also made her the first female country artist to write or co-write on every track for a platinum certified album. Wow. Yeah. And of course, like we talked about on episode 87, she gave her first gold record for her song Tim McGraw to Eric Church. Well, the album's a smash hit. It really, I mean, does well for her and it features all kinds of hit songs that you probably know, Mr. Country Taylor Swift, right? Our song, Teardrops on My Guitar. The way that you laugh. <laughs> there you go. He knows the rest of the words. You heard him. What else did you say? Uh, Teardrops on My Guitar. Teardrops on My Guitar. Yeah. He knows the words. And then, Picture to Burn. I'm going to stop singing them. Okay. Yeah, but he knows that one too. <laughs> Listen, I'm a medium me. A medium me? That's like, no, there's a Swifty if you're a fan, a Slowy if you're a hater. I guess the middle point has to be normal speedy? Yeah, you'd have to be, uh, I'm a cruiser. I'm just cruising. Oh. I'm not going fast, not going slow. Not a Swifty, but you're cruising. I'm a cruisy. Okay. After the debut album came out, she put out two more EPs and then her second album, Fearless, in 2008. And Connor said, that's enough. Enough (laughs) enough out of you. 2008. Uh, But Fearless had even bigger hit singles that you also know, like Love Story. Oh, you want me to sing that one too? Well, I I feel like I set a bad precedent with the first one. (laughs) You did. (laughs) I feel obligated, but at the same time, really don't want to subject myself or the audience to that. Well, that's fair. I just, for a minute, it felt like I was in one of those cheesy little like box set CD commercials where they're just like naming off songs you could hear it in the background. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Fearless has Love Story, has You Belong With Me. You Belong With Me. All this and more for four easy payments of (laughs) $49.95. Call now. Must be 18 or older to order. 
Fearless was her very first number one album. It was 2009's top seller in the United States, and it led to her first headlining tour. I also, pretty early into this set of show notes, realized this episode would just go on forever if I started trying to talk about every time she was the first or the youngest to accomplish some feat or win some prestigious award, because it's a lot. I don't know if you realize how much it is. (laughs) It's so much. But the recognition for Fearless has continued. I figured it out, actually. I didn't bother to look at what order these albums came out in when you asked the question earlier, but I know when I stopped listening. Oh, you know definitively. When definitively? It's after Red. It was after Red. Oh. Yeah, Red would have been the last one because 1989 is the album that she put out to redefine herself. And that was the one that I maybe listened to, but I don't think I did. Not like in any meaningful way. So you actually listened all the way through. I mean, the Red Era. Yeah. Which definitely had some not country singles. This is like a breaking point from country. Yeah, exactly. Red was the one that critics were like, is that really country, Taylor? Come on. And then she was like, you're right. It's not. Boom. 1989. Yeah. I think we'll talk more, more about it, obviously. But I don't think Red is like a Growing Pains album, but it's definitely a key transition piece from what came before to what comes next. And so, you know, I made it like 40% into her career before I became a cruisy. Right. 40%. That's not bad. Yeah. But that's the Fearless era. Two years after Fearless, she put out her third record, Speak Now, which apparently you were still on board for. Yeah. This one's really notable because it's entirely a solo right. She co-produced the entire record, wrote every track by herself, that's pretty wild. Huh. She's also picking up more awards, Grammys, Billboard's 2011 Women of the Year, ACM Entertainer of the Year. And now, you know, fast forward again another two years, 2012, she's ready to release her fourth album, Red, the one we're talking about today. And I've got to say, all the Swifties out there that are sad we didn't do a different album, I know, me too. It was incredibly difficult to pick an album to focus on. I thought about different directions. I thought about, like, special episode formats. I'm surprised we're not doing one of the Taylor's versions. Well, yeah, there's a thing for that, too. Here's the thing about... That's probably what I would have done. I think I would have picked one of the Taylor's versions. Probably of one I already knew, obviously. Yeah. So that that way I could be like, oh, like, it'd be something new for me, but at the same time, like, something... That I can ground myself with. True, true. Well, here's the thing about the Taylor's versions. I wanted to. I really thought about it. And then just didn't. <laughs> no, I just didn't. First of all, the songs are, I mean, especially on Red, lyrically, musically, the same, right? So those scores don't change much. You know, her voice is a little more mature. But other than that, it's basically a very faithful recreation of the original Red. Second, this episode is already going to be so stinking long. And then, the, like, the Taylor's version has vault tracks on there. I mean, it's a it's a staggering two hours and ten minutes. And I just thought you'd quit the podcast, frankly, if I sat you down to listen to a two-hour and ten-minute album. And then, I, like, I just feel like we couldn't even do that justice on a B-side. So I wanted to really focus our focus a little more. Have you listened to any of the Taylor's version songs? Yeah, I actually listened to the Taylor's version along with the regular version. Oh, good. What do you mean along with? Like you just listened to both? Yeah. Wow. You found a loophole to the listened once yesterday thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's taken 113 (laughs) episodes, but you finally found the loophole and it's that she released the same album a second time. (laughs) Wow. So let's set the scene. Let's set the scene for when she's making Red. She's been writing all kinds of solo songs for Speak Now, right? She decides that she's a little bit tired of it. She wants to branch out 
diversify her sound. She wants to work with new writers and producers. Really just learn a lot more and push her songwriting to the next level and like just start to evolve a little bit. And that's exactly what she does. It's an album that's intentionally very genre fluid. Like you said, all the critics came out and said, hey, is this really country? And everyone kind of said, I don't know what this is. Like that was very much the critical reception at the time. They didn't really know how to label it, how to classify it. Fair enough. It came out in October of 2012. Both the standard and deluxe editions came out at the same time. In its first week, Red sold 1,208,000 copies. Red was number one on the Billboard chart for seven weeks, making her the first female artist and the second artist since the Beatles to have three straight albums top the chart for at least six weeks. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I don't know. Just the Beatles and Taylor Swift exist in such vastly different spaces of music in my brain. It's true. And yet they hold the same records. Red's been certified seven times platinum in the U.S. It was also a hit internationally. It's multi-platinum in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the U.K. It was also nominated for Album of the Year, both at the Country Music Awards and the Grammys. And she also went on a massive tour in support of Red. She played 58 shows in North America. Also, the Red Tour was the highest grossing tour for a country artist of all time back then, if she even still counts during the Red Era as a country artist. It's debated. It's debated. All in all, it was a very successful experiment for her, a really effective project. I think Red shows a lot of growth, and it clearly proves that she's capable of what she set out to do. After all the success from Red, she starts working with future frequent collaborator Jack Antonoff, producer and singer in the band Bleachers. She also branches into more acting and a lot of guest vocals. She performed with Keith Urban, Florida Georgia Line, also the Rolling Stones, which is wild. She's also an actress in the Lorax and The Giver. I don't know if you realized, you and I have gone to the theater to see a Taylor Swift movie together. Yeah, I remember when we went and saw The Lorax. No, <laughs> well, we didn't. I've never seen The Lorax. But yeah, no, I knew she was in The Giver. Calm down. She was also in Cats. She was also in Cats, eventually. <laughs> so yeah, she's an actress now and doing still music. In 2014, her fifth album, 1989, was imminent. Connor was just about to stop liking her. And she started doing these now famous secret sessions where she invited fans to preview the album, like, in her apartment. Also in 2014, Taylor earned Billboard's Woman of the Year again, making her the first woman to win twice in all the years that have ever been. There's been a different woman, except for 2014. Man. Yeah. I don't know what I like more. I, like, the cool statistic that she's the only one to do it twice, or the cool statistic that it's always been someone different? I don't know. Well, Billboard made their choice. Fair enough. <laughs> her sixth record reputation came out in 2017 and it is i mean i don't know what you know from reputation i kid you not fully on the other end of the pop country spectrum at this point 2017 her contract with big machine was up one of the things that was really important to her and we'll get back to this in just a second is the ownership of her masters her recordings Taylor Swift does own all the copyrights for the words and music. She wrote the songs. She wrote the music. So all the money for that part goes to her all the time. She doesn't own the rights to the recordings. And she couldn't buy them? No, she couldn't. Why? Yeah, why? Great question. Did the person just not want to sell, or is that just not a thing you can do? It is definitely a thing that you can do. Big Machine... 
just said no. <laughs> yeah, Big Machine just said no. Basically, yeah, her, her label makes it tough to get control of these masters. So she she doesn't get the masters, and so she makes these Taylor versions. Right. So she has the masters for those. Yes. Uh, the Taylor's versions that she released, she started these in 2020, right? Each one of these re-released albums features all the redone original tracks, and then also includes a handful of unreleased tracks that she's calling From the Vault. So far... She's finished Fearless, Red, and Speak Now, three of the six. And she's, like we said, just announced 1989 Taylor's version. That's coming, oh, in about a month from when this episode comes out. So that leaves reputation and debut. But flashback, yes, she's she's just left Big Machine for Universal Music Group. Reputation's out in 2017. In 2019, she put out her seventh studio album, Lover, my entry point into the fandom I was really stunned by it. I mean, absolutely just blown away. And I really also strongly considered a Lover episode because that one is so special. But once again, here we are. Then, during COVID, she surprise dropped a pair of albums. Folklore came out in 2020. Its sister album, Evermore, came out just a year later. And I mean, like, surprise drop, surprise dropped. She, like, said, surprise, new album tomorrow. And everyone went, wait, what? (laughs) And then it was just there. You know, it was like overnight, basically. And those are way more on like the Americana slash folk side of her sound. It's not a pivot back to country, necessarily. Certainly, though, it's a few steps closer than Reputation or Lover were. And then, of course, we get into the Taylor's version era, which we just talked about at length. So we won't dive back into it. Some of that might be on the B-side. Check it out if you care about Taylor's versions. But Taylor's most recent album of all new material was 2022's Midnight's. It's a bit of a blend, I think, of Red-style pop and Evermore-style folk. It's different, and I don't think I've heard too many people say it's her best work or their favorite, but also, it holds its own. I think it's very solidly in the middle of the pack. And another statistic that just sounds fake, she was the first artist to have 10 songs from an album in the top 10 at once. Like, all 10. If you open the top charts that day, 10% 10% of the Hot 100, the first 10% of the Hot 100, would all be Midnight's. Huh. Mm-hmm. And that brings us, of course, to today. This year, she's been on tour. Her massive stadium tour, the Eras Tour, has been going on since March, and it is legitimately, it's unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. It's crazy. Like, how familiar are you with what's been going on with, like, the Eras Tour? Uh, I know... We had a relationship get exposed there. That's true. That tour's been going on so long, facts about (laughs) it have been in the podcast like 10 episodes ago. Phoebe Bridgers got her relationship exposed. Yeah, I know you went and saw it. I sure did. It's unreal. Really, it was probably the undisputed like musical event of the summer. Maybe more. Like You should keep an eye out to see how it pans out on list of the biggest and most successful tours of all time, because it's got to be up there. It's projected to gross over a billion, with a B, billion dollars, and Bloomberg News has estimated the average gross per show is $13 million. That is so much. That is. So that's the Eras Tour. And this is the part of the show where we usually talk about awards and accolades. I'm scarcely going to get into it. You've been getting into it this whole time. I have, and that's why I'm not going to do it again. But anyway, that long rambling is a brief overview of the history of Taylor Swift and the present of Taylor Swift. (laughs) But with that, I think it's time to get into Fact or Spin. Hey, it's me, the (laughs) Mixtaper. Hey, Mixtaper, welcome back to the podcast. How's your week been? I don't know about you. 
but I'm feeling 22. Oh, aren't you just two, though? You just had your, like, second birthday. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm feeling two, two, like two also, so 22. I don't think that's how anything about numbers works, but I'm not feeling particularly 22 right now. I'm feeling 50-50, though. Well, that's the goal. The B-side episode, so again, if you get over there, there'll be some bonus facts on the B-side. I'm excited and afraid for this week. You should be. It sounds like the B-side's going to scare me, and the normal side already scares me. I think there's a lot out there about Taylor Swift that you could find that I don't know. Fans dig deep. Mm-hmm. I bet people know almost everything about this woman. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to start with the fact that they know she owns ghost-detecting equipment. We're starting with that? <laughs> we're starting with it. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> the history of ghost detecting equipment is a long and storied history. It most recently came up on our Jukebox the Ghost episode. That I still can't believe you fell for. Well, I know. Can't believe you let me get away with that. <laughs> Gabrielle Applin was the first person that had ghost detecting equipment. Then it's just, it's always come up and it's always been not true. And there's a decent number of times that I've fallen for it, including the most recent time. You're right close to 50-50. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and every time it happens, you say, this is a true fact about some artist that's big enough that we have to do them on the podcast. That we will do. You just haven't picked yet. Taylor Swift is obviously big enough to get a podcast episode. She's big enough to sell out a multi-billion dollar world tour. I am already inclined to believe this, and I don't like that. <laughs> let's let's hit it. What kind of ghost detecting equipment does she own? She has a Ouija board. A Ouija board. Interesting. I guess that counts as ghost detecting equipment. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Well, in a sense, she, that's the only what I would consider official piece of ghost detecting equipment. She has unofficial ghost detecting equipment? Yeah. Like? It's what led to her buying the Ouija board. No way. Okay. Are you talking like something happened to something that she owned and she's like, oh, I detect a ghost. Maybe I should see what happens. Yeah. That's an accurate statement. What has she seen a ghost act upon? Well, she's a very paranoid person, specifically of being followed and recorded by people she's interacting with. And so, you know, with all that paranoia comes uh, the comfort of security, right? Yeah. And so she has a lot of security cameras and monitoring devices in her apartment. Sure, as you would. As you would, I think, as somebody that famous, whether you were paranoid or not. Yeah. And that equipment got some interesting readings. Oh, yeah? Like like ghost orbs or what? Yeah. Readings is a weird way to describe what's happened on your security equipment. Yeah, so when I say readings, I guess I just mean you've got the stereotypical ghost orbs, right? Yeah. At one point, a vase full of flowers fell off of the counter they were on oh. without being touched. And she has that on camera. So this situation that you're describing is a lot more of like the Machine Gun Kelly style. Ghosts started messing with me, and now I gotta get ready for them. <laughs> Weed ghost. Yeah, that's what this sounds like. A lot more than, I'm here to detect a ghost. This one's like, mischievous. Yeah, she's got a soundbite. She and her best friend swear. It sounds like the word Ryan being said. No, it's still Ryan the ghost. <laughs> it's still Ryan the ghost. <laughs> no. And so she buys a Ouija board to communicate with Ryan the ghost. What happens? Her and her friend Carly Kloss buy a Ouija board, have a little slumber party, you know, at her place. And 
I don't really know what the results were. She just said that they did that. You don't know the results? Uh, she didn't really comment on that part. Oh, man. The lack of results makes this even more annoying. Does this still haunt her? What part of her career is this happening during? This was in 2014. Okay. And it's not still... I mean, the vase floated and, and a ghost said Ryan into it. It didn't float. Calm down. Okay. Fell. Fell. Floated for a brief time as it fell. Is falling and floating the same thing? I feel like that's not I mean, how that works. Falling is just <laughs> floating really fast. I think this is a decision that may haunt me forever. I think Taylor Swift is a big artist. I think you're putting this into uh-huh. this episode because Taylor Swift is a big artist. Mm. It's not over the top like the other facts. Playing the system, not the facts. Smart move. Maybe. I think I'm going to say it's a spin. Going with spin. I don't know. Yeah. You're starting off this episode messing with me, and that's why you put it first and not as like a final ramp. Trying to throw you off your rhythm. I guess. I'm thoroughly shook right now. This is a true spin. <laughs> <laughs> Did your heart drop there when I said true? It did. It did. I was afraid. So she doesn't own a Ouija board. She hasn't encountered a ghost. She does not. Nope. Darn. Kind of upset that that was a spin. Kind of happy that I didn't fall for it. So my emotions are mixed. Yeah, it's always bittersweet, isn't it? It is. Yeah. All right. Just thought we'd, we'd start with that one. I Every time I say spin, I almost do say fact. <laughs> it's not the last time you were asking me this. Ryan will return. And it's sad, beautiful, tragic spin. <laughs> Up next, she uses interesting software for her shows. Okay, what kind of interesting software? I mean, I saw the Eras Tour, but that's the only one of her shows that I've actually seen. So what kind of software are we talking about? Facial recognition software. Facial recognition. Oh. Mm-hmm. She scanned your face. Do you think? I, I know of this kind of thing. Places have done this. I remember, I mean, I'm a hockey fan. During hockey season, the New York Rangers in Madison Square Garden. Maybe it wasn't the Rangers. It was just the Garden. I don't remember. They had facial recognition technology, and they, they clocked someone walking into the venue, and they pulled him aside and said, you're banned here, because he was. They said, you got to get out. And he was like, you can't do that. And they said, yeah, we can. Get wrecked. Yeah, get wrecked. <laughs> I know this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Why why does Taylor Swift use it? Is it for the same, like, denying people that can't get close to her? Correct. Her security team sets up a bunch of cameras and runs this facial recognition software to detect her stalkers yeah i think when you get to be a certain level of famous like that happens and it's not good but i definitely i feel like i've heard of people that she's like had to actively guard against in the past Mm -hmm. yeah she's like at one point was ranked like number one for most stalkers awful (laughs) not really something you want to be ranked number one for but no in fact i would like to be ranked number one for least stalkers i probably i probably am (laughs) yeah well mission accomplished so these cameras are just set up at like the gates at all the entry points of the venues i assume okay i assume there are other security measures in place too like known email addresses that might be used to buy tickets that are blacklisted or i don't know maybe even ip addresses to visit the website it just i don't who knows i would imagine but this isn't about that well how long has she been doing this a long time i don't have a date this article was from 2016 right around reputation era she did have a big reputation right around then 
But like, wow, these people are so bad. Think about that. So bad they can't even be in the same 60,000 person crowd. Arena. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. that is concerning. I think this is true. Yeah. I think this is a fact. I have heard of the technology. I believe thoroughly that this is a serious problem for her. So I'm going to say it's true. This is a true fact. Oh, yeah. True fact. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. If you're out there listening to this, here's our official Spin It PSA. Don't do anything to get yourself... Spin It's official stance on stalking? Don't. Don't. <laughs> hey. All you stalkers out there, how about not? How about not? She wrote a book. Oh, that we jumped right into it. <laughs> she wrote a book. What's the title of the book? A Girl Named Girl. A, I'm sorry. A Girl <laughs> Named girl yeah well i thought this was going to be a reasonable fact i thought it would be pretty easy to tell whether this is true or not and i started off thinking it's probably true and all of a sudden boy that needle (laughs) pointed hard in the other direction Uh, what's what's a girl named girl about don't say just about a girl named girl (laughs) i mean it's totally about the same i know it's about a girl nope her name is girl (laughs) what's the girl named girl do be a disappointment to her mother shoot That was such a bad way of describing that, but it was really funny. Girl named girl disappoints her mother. How? Yeah, by by being a girl. What? (laughs) It's about a mother who wishes for a son but gets a daughter. All right. And she names her daughter (laughs) the mother who wishes for a son, who wishes for a boy, (laughs) names her daughter girl. Well, probably because she had a bunch of boy names picked out, right? And then she popped out a girl and was like, oh, crap, what do I do about this? A uh, girl. Oh, she just calls her girl because she doesn't love her enough to name her. I don't know. I've not read the book, but that would be real brutal. It would. <laughs> like, she never calls her by name. She just says, girl, come here, or something. I don't know. That seems right. That's what I'm envisioning. What's the target audience of this book? Is this like a children's book, like a young adult novel? Is this like she trying to be Charles Dickens? I think the audience was her parents was the target her parents when when did she write this when she was 14 14 okay (laughs) interesting and it never got published no but her parents still have it girl named girl written for her parents about disappointing her parents why else would a 14 year old girl write a book called a girl named girl about being a disappointment (laughs) no it feels a little heavy-handed i mean to present your parents with a book about how you've disappointed your parents (laughs) yeah why do people know this she talked about it in an interview okay they asked what she did before she got into music and she talked about how she wrote a book yeah i guess that's a natural progression from writing prose to writing lyrics but is this true that is hard yeah yeah okay i think this is true yeah this is true i think this is true it conceptually i mean you haven't read it no one's read it nobody knows what it's about except for i mean what she said in an interview which is probably close to all you've told me all right i feel like it's not improbable i'm gonna say fact you have failed the 50 50 oh yeah this is a true fact What have you done? No, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, that was a fact named fact. That's what you should have called it. A fact named fact? Oh, I should have. I might have given away the ending. Yeah. And that brings us to our final ramp for the normal cut. Yeah, and then the fun's just getting started. Yeah. I have to rack up points now because I don't know what's going to happen on that B-side. Once we get past that threshold, I mean, it's anything's fair game. Well, to end the normal cut, we've been on a bit of a really dark path. 
this factor spin. I mean, yeah, we've got ghosts and stalkers and neglected children without names. And dead Santa Clauses. Oh, shoot. Wow. She thought she saw Santa die. She thought Santa had a bad Christmas. Yikes. What a traumatic thing. How old was she when she watched Santa die? Oh, is this the inspiration for the song Treacherous? He was up on the roof and he fell and she went, oh, that slope, <laughs> that slope is treacherous. Santa, how does he die? What's the means of his death here? Well, he doesn't actually die. No, no, of course. But what she thinks she sees. We all know he doesn't die. He's still around. Well, Santa collapses. Oh, no. Is this like a, a mall Santa who has a medical problem? Uh, yeah. it's a, I guess a mall Santa is a good enough definition for it. I mean, this is at... You mentioned that she grew up on a Christmas tree farm. I did. Well, come holiday season, they were having a holiday event. And, you know, Santa was there to help people pick out their Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. When he had a bad Christmas. And he, <laughs> and he collapses. Santa, oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's eight. Santa falls down, and she's not the only kid there, I'm sure, if it's an event, to see Santa Claus. Yeah. What happens? Is this pandemonium? Santamonium. Oh, Santamonium. That's good. <laughs> so there's Santamonium. How does she cope with this? Does Do her parents tell her, no, sweetie, Santa's not dead. He just had a heart attack. Do they say, that's not Santa? Well, he didn't have a heart attack. <laughs> oh. What happened? Uh, just dehydration okay passed out okay too many cookies not enough milk yeah exactly and yeah so you know yeah there was a freak out you know but all was okay they they explained it to her but there was a brief moment where she thought christmas was ending (laughs) oh no she quote i thought i was witnessing the end of christmas that's hilarious (laughs) wow I don't know what else to ask about this. Well, I guess I have something to ask. Is it true? You always ask this. I think, yeah, I think this is true. Well, oh. here's the reason. I The Christmas tree farm, I think if you were going to lie about it, you would take the Christmas tree farm as a reasonable jumping off point to make this seem extra plausible. Sure. However, it also totally makes sense that they'd have Santa at the Christmas tree farm. Mm-hmm. And it's... I mean, terrible. It's terrible, but um, but okay. I think she believed this. I think she thought Santa had a bad Christmas. This is a spin. Oh, really? How could I not have? I tried to find something true about the Christmas farm that was fact and spin worthy. There just wasn't anything, so I had to make something up. Well, that was a great one to make up. That felt really <laughs> believable. I don't know why. Yeah, I tried not to go too extreme with it by making it just dehydration and not just like, oh, like you, you instantly went to heart attack. I did. You know, which is where most people would go. Well, I either thought that or I went the Santa Claus direction where he actually like fell off a roof. I was like, I mean, there's a lot of different ways Santa could die. A lot of hazards come with putting on the suit every day. Yeah. But that was, I mean, I've never heard of that happening ever, right? Even with mall Santas. I don't know if I've ever heard of a mall Santa going down. So <laughs> this one really didn't didn't trigger any alarm bells or sleigh bells yeah that makes this a christmas episode by the way no it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) to be honest i'm surprised she didn't put in a fact about the moon to make it a little closer to the moon era oh we're not done oh well (laughs) stay tuned to the b-side for more i guess goodbye a-side yeah welcome back connor i am back let's talk about the album art on red actually i don't have much to say about the album art it's her face in profile red lipstick half in shadow she's got a cool hat what do you think she does have a cool hat I like that fence it's a cool fence very 2012 vibes yeah 
Well, let's get into it. We got 16 tracks to talk about today, at least. Also, before we start, I say after I've started, you, Connor, you got to tell me the point when you were listening to this album that you started to get fatigued with it because it happened to me. I I mean, it's a bit of a longer album. On my first listener too, I definitely did. I, I don't remember if I mentioned this yet or not, but I listened to both versions. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you probably got double fatigued then. I listened to both versions, and then I cheated and listened to both versions a second time. Wow, four? Hold on. But in a way that I think makes it legal, because it was almost like it was a third album. Oh, gosh. What did you do? (laughs) I played them simultaneously. What? (laughs) So I could tell the differences. Oh, no. (laughs) You clicked play on normal version and Taylor's version at the same time? I had it pulled up on my phone and on my computer. And played it both at the same time. That absolutely does not count as cheating. That's awesome. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. So we'll have to get your final <laughs> thoughts on that at the end. I That's impressive, honestly. So that must mean, I mean, you can at least sit through this album. So you must not have had a fatigue point if you went through three times. Oh, no, I did. Oh, <laughs> well, you just tell me when we get there. I hit that fatigue each of my three listen-throughs about the same point. I thought so. <laughs> See, I am I have a consistent, I, I don't want to call it a breaking point, but definitely a spot where I feel myself wearing the thinnest on this album. Yeah. And it's not where I think it should be, or it's not where I expected it to be. Mm. But it's sure not with track one, State of Grace. All right, well, we're at my breaking point Oh, now. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. State of Grace. Heck yeah. Album opener, the fourth single from the record, peaked at number 13 on the chart, certified gold. What'd you think? Okay, did you know a lot of these songs before that weren't singles? Yeah, we had this CD. Oh, so you know all of it then? Pretty much. There were some I'd forgotten about. Interesting. State of Grace is one that I didn't know until I picked up Red for the first time. I liked it a lot. It was a great door opener for this album. Yeah, that guitar is doing some real nice stuff there. They have a little instrumental to lead you in. Yeah. I like her vocals on this one. The ba 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 that yeah. she does is really good. Touch and go. It it's a great melody. Really. That kind of sold me on it right away. Not to mention the chorus. I mean, you've got that part in the verse, right? Descending. Da-na-na. And then the chorus is never like it goes up and and kind of flips the script on that melody we've been used to, but they're both really good. Taylor herself says the song sounds like the feeling of falling in love in an epic way. And I think that's accurate. Pretty epic. And I think it's kind of a quick flyby of a lot of the different emotions that we get on the rest of the album. And here's a fun fact. Taylor put hidden messages inside the album notes, right? Each album comes with liner notes where the lyrics are in there like normal, but she's capitalized random letters to give hints about who or what the songs were inspired by. Oh. Uh They all spell out little things. So State of Grace has letters capitalized that spell out, I love you doesn't count after goodbye. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. And and they do. I mean, that sums up the whole situation. (laughs) How do you feel about color symbolism? Makes me a little blue. Oh, well, then you probably were not a fan of the next track, Red, the title track. No, it's where I hit my breaking point. No, If you say it every time, you're going to be like the boy who cried wolf. I'm never going to know when you really broke. <laughs> this was a super popular song when it came out. Red was big. Red was pretty huge. And it's certified two times platinum today. She actually wrote the song when she was on a red-eye flight to Nashville way back in 2011. This was one I liked the original version better than the Taylor's version. Yeah, I think the original version has a magic that's hard to recapture, even doing everything so similarly. 
Yeah. Red's a tough one because that production is so particular. Such a delicate balance. <laughs> delicate. I don't know if it's just her vocal maturity or the way it was mastered or what, but her voice sounds lighter on the original than it does on the Taylor's version. Mm. It's got a bit more maybe lift to it. feels a bit, you know, she's walking on clouds, if I had to give it a metaphor. Ooh. Whereas the Taylor's version is just so clean and precise that it doesn't necessarily have that same loft to it. It feels a bit more weighted. That's true. And so on a song like this, when she hits that chorus of losing him was blue like I'd never known, like that just hits so much better with that lofty sound to it, in my opinion. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I I just love the contrast in the colors. Hey, if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you like the progression of time and the progression of colors. I don't know about that. When have I ever talked about color progression before? Now. I just learned it about you. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> also, isn't that two things? If there's one thing I know about you, two things. It's kind of what you just said. So only one of them was when I actually knew about you. Wow. <laughs> Touche. But I like that we start with blue and sad, and then we get to gray and kind of like lost and lonely and like dreary. I'm a little annoyed she didn't follow uh, Roy G. Biv. <laughs> well, the relationship doesn't follow Roy G. Biv. <laughs> Why not? It, it's hot and cold. Taylor, make your relationships follow Roy G. Biv. Or, like, what's the point? What's the point? (laughs) Do you think there should be more colors in red? I mean, obviously, I mean, that's kind of what we're on a tangent about. All right. But she really only talks about blue, gray, and red. She alludes to other colors. I mean, how much do you want? I mean, the song's called Red. It's not called, like, Rainbow. No, you're right. It's true. She really isn't obligated to say any of them but red. Touche. (laughs) Well, she's not obligated to say any of them at all. She could have just called the song something else. It's true. Well, that's red for you. I love it. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. Also, the secret message on red is S-A-G, SAG, SAG. People say it's probably a reference to Sagittarius, which is the star sign of both her and her ex, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. But also, it just says SAG. So who knows? Treacherous is a great song. It's the first real slow song on the album. Yeah, it's really pretty. And I, 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 I like it. Anyway, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. That's how I feel about the mixtaper every day. I don't know why I didn't say that to him at the beginning of this episode. That would have made a lot of sense. But you should have. I didn't think of it. This was the album's third single. It charted in the top 10 in a dozen countries around the world, sold 416,000 copies in the U.S. and peaked at number two. But to date, it sold over four and a half million copies in America alone. And I don't know about you. I think I Knew You Were Trouble is like the first major departure from her sound. Really? From I mean, from her first three albums. Absolutely. I Knew You Were Trouble is like the first big leap chronologically. Ha. Huh. I'd have to think on that. I don't know if I agree with that. I really think it is. The post-chorus where it goes really poppy with the bass drop and the O's. Dubstep. Yes, it gets all dubstep. Yeah, you're right. Light dubstep. I'll give it to you there. Big time. I mean, you're right. You're right. The beginning part, not so much. The verses, fine. But the chorus is very different. And that was intentional. You know, we yeah. talked about how she wanted to branch outside of her normal sound and comfort zone and work with new producers, learn new things. And she said this song was a big signal flare. She says, when I did something like that, I thought people were going to be freaked out over it. And it ended up spending seven weeks at number one on the pop charts. I felt like I had tried something new that fit really well. And you know what? I think it does kind of fit. I think she just has one of those voices that really lends itself to vocal jumps 
Yeah. Like that, I knew you were, just jumping all around the notes. Like her voice is just perfect for that. It's true. She hits that really on the nose, which is super important for something like that because you can't slide into it. You don't have notes in between to walk you there. You just have to do it. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing to do. And then the O's. Yeah. Yeah. It may or may not make top three territory. I don't know if I love it. I think I could safely say I like it, but I have not always liked it, and I do not love it. But that sounds harsh when I say I don't love it. Yeah, I'm not going to say love. I'll say like-like. Yeah, that's fair. That's nice and moderate. I think it's awesome. It's a song about ignoring red flags, which is not good. But you know what? She knew he was trouble, so shame on her. Hey, we've all done it. Have we? Have you never ignored a red flag? Probably. Listen, I know all too well about red flags. (laughs) Right. Do you know all too well about Taylor's track five thing? What's her track five thing? Well, it's kind of a tradition at this point. On all of her albums, track five, she saves that spot. They end up being the tracks that are most important or meaningful or emotional to her. Not track 13? Not track 13. And that is all too well, rightfully so, deserved track five spot. Probably, if not her best song of all time, like one of her best track fives. So you're you love this song. Big time. I think this is the the winner of winners for me. Wow. This one probably became my favorite Taylor Swift song after I heard it. Fair enough. And I still have to say probably, but it's so good. It is a really good one. She wrote this song largely spontaneously during a sound check and really struck gold. She was just standing up there playing a chord progression along with the band and started singing this. It's like straight from the heart. And I mean, wow, to stand up there and just come up with, you call me up again just to break me like a promise, so casually cruel in the name of being honest. That's wild, right? That's unreal. Certified poetry. That's maybe the most certified poetry we've talked about in a long, long time. Man, you're sounding like a Swifty, not a Slowy. I told you, I got there. It took a while, but I came around. But she starts ranting and raving in all these lines, right? Starts just pouring her heart out there. And it goes off the rails. She came up with so many lyrics that the initial version of the song was like 15 minutes long. So to listen to the Taylor Swift, you know, Taylor's version of 10 Minute All Too Well, I feel like there were still significant cuts made, which is so wild. Yeah, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. And here's a fun fact. When All Too Well 10 Minute version debuted, it became the longest song ever to top the Billboard Hot 100. Wow. Yeah, it beat the previous record by more than an entire minute. Wow. Do you know what the next longest song to top the Hot 100 was? What? You probably know it. Do you have a guess? I can't be bothered. I've never heard of that song. But the real answer is Don McLean's American Pie at eight minutes. Oh! Bye-bye. She drove her Chevy to the levee, and it was full of tears from that time that Jake Gyllenhaal (laughs) stole her scarf. Anyway, let's keep it rolling. We move out of a very emotional track into a track that is full of a lot of different kinds of emotion. Yeah, and it's the track I'm probably most intimately familiar with. Really? Why? We're talking about 22. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't know about you, but Connor's feeling it. I'm feeling it. Why are you so intimately familiar with 22? Because... I don't know about all you listeners out there, but when we were in high school... I thought you were about to say, I'm feeling 22. Good grief. <laughs> no, I wish I had. It feels like one of those nights. But when we were in high school, 
we had to write parody songs as part of our English class. Oh, you are really intimately familiar with this. Yeah, and so you had to write three parody songs. I did a parody of We Are the Champions by uh, Queen. Then I did Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus, you know. It foreshadowed your love of Miley Cyrus in a way that I did not comprehend at the time. (laughs) And then I picked 22 by Taylor Swift. So you are pretty intimately familiar with this because you've changed all the words. Yeah. The Connors version. Connors version of 22. (laughs) The real version is about actually turning 22. Taylor said 22 has been her favorite year of life. Yeah, she says she likes all the possibilities. You're still learning, but you know enough. You still know nothing, but you know that you know nothing. You're old enough to start planning your life, but young enough to know there are so many unanswered questions. It's a blast. 22, what a time. She actually celebrated 22. Here's a side note. The hidden message for this album are names. Ashley, Diana, Claire, Selena, who are her best friends that she actually celebrated her 22nd birthday with. And they even made it into the song's music video. Noise. The song, I mean, it sounds like that party that they had. Sounds like a party song. What a blast. It also hit three times platinum. Another huge track from this album. I got a 100% on that project, by the way. I looked that up too. Oh, I thought you might have got a 22. But that's 22. It's really not that deep. It's a feel-good song. And it feels good. It feels good. That melody is so good. Just that 22, ooh-ooh. I mean, hit the nail on the head. How do you feel about I Almost Do? I almost like it. You almost like it? Every time I want to like it, I almost do. (laughs) No, I actually do like it. I actually do like it too. Up next is another of the album's absolute biggest tracks. Almost 600 million streams on Spotify just on the non-Taylor's version. The Taylor's version is 196 million. Already? Wow. And that song is We... You got to do the, the we thing. You got to do the... Oh, we are never, never ever, 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 ever getting back together. It didn't work. It's okay. It didn't work. No. <laughs> this was another big single. The lead single from Red, as a matter of fact, went six times platinum in the US. It was Taylor's first number one on the Billboard Hot 100, Grammy nominated for Record of the Year. What a blast. This is another song I did not like at first. Before I came all the way around, I can admit this one was not my favorite. Yeah, this is another one that there's a subtle difference in her vocal. Again, it's probably just the way it was mastered and just the way her vocals have matured over the years. Yeah. You can notice it as it's leading up to that first chorus. And it's one that I, I think it, maybe it's just because of nostalgia reasons, but I like the original better. Mm, interesting. I can understand that. It's, it's another one that's very tough to recapture. Yeah. This one's just so iconic and known. Anything you do feels like a copy of it, which is fair. This is still one that I quote from time to time. Do you? How many people do you tell you're never ever getting back together? It's more whenever somebody says we're never doing that or something like that. I'll like throw in a bunch of evers. Oh, a bunch <laughs> of ever quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody be like, I'm never doing that. And I'll be like, never, ever, ever, ever. I'll like ask them a question with a bunch of evers. Well, that's like normal. Is that intentional? a reference to taylor swift or like just how it works out i mean do you usually just say never ever and you leave it at that but i like never ever ever okay well if it is a reference in your head then that makes it a reference because you're the one doing it well i think you know the title kind of speaks for itself as far as what the song's all about we are never ever getting back together it's she says it's a definitive portrait of how i felt when i finally stopped caring what my ex thought of me And it actually is based on a true story with the indie record that's much cooler than hers, you know? This guy that was into hipster stuff that was not her music, and she just did not vibe with him. And she said it was kind of a petty thing that she made the song like this. She said not only 
would it hopefully be played a lot so he'd have to hear it but it's also the opposite kind of music that he was trying to make me feel inferior to. It's like a double burn. I'll be honest, this music video and You Belong With Me were probably the two most iconic Taylor Swift music videos that I knew growing up. Yeah. I, I You've actually known a lot more of this than I kind of expected, to be perfectly honest. Listen, like I said, I knew a lot about Taylor Swift up until she left country. It's true. 1989 was your breaking point. Maybe if I'd been alive then, it would have been different. In 1989, yeah. <laughs> Maybe then I would have been begging her to stay 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 yeah let's go 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 on to stay 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 i think is the epitome of red to me honestly there's emotion there's conflict there's reconciliation with this really memorable melody and easy hook and this general like lightheartedness i think that makes it a real standout track also i think it's as close to our countryside as we've been since treacherous if not the most country song on the album so far maybe i almost do almost does it i do do <laughs> you, <laughs> that would have been a good thing to say during i almost do do you do what do you stay 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 i i stay 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 i think it's maybe underrated when i listened to the album the first time all the way through i listened to this and it wasn't my first time hearing stay 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 but i thought why didn't anybody talk about this song like I think it got a music video, and maybe it was okay, like, decently big, but I feel like Stay, Stay, Stay really faded kind of into the background, around especially singles like We're Never Ever Getting Back Together in 22. Mm. I wish Stay, Stay, Stay got more time in the spotlight. I think it has a funky little melody. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Do you like the, okay, the verse and the chorus, I think, are on pretty equal footing in terms of their, like, goodness. Which one do you like better? Uh, the chorus, it's catchy. Stay, stay, stay. I've been loving you for quite some time, time, time. time. That triple repetition is really what sells the song. Yeah. But you're right. The verses are good with a plunky little melody of, of their own. Yeah. Plunky. I mean, shoot. I, what instrument do they put in the background of that? Something. I like it a lot. That makes it so plunky and, and just light. Yeah. You know? It just feels like a light song. Stay, stay, stay is just like real and in the moment and it's just this little snapshot into the day-to-day of a relationship instead of catching it at the beginning or at the very end yeah or after the end like most of these other songs it's great and up next we're talking about the last time for the first time the last time 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 (laughs) no no that's you're mixing songs it's not working this song features gary lightbody of snow patrol i think i only know one snow patrol song that really big song that they had chasing cars i thought it was cool to see that gary lightbody did the taylor's version too yeah she got the same you know guest stars she didn't mix them up no i think that again pretty much it's like a carbon copy the taylor's version is of the original which is what makes this so cool actually gary lightbody too he helped her write the song and he said it was so fast we actually did that song wrote it and recorded it in a day and that was the version of it on the record the whole thing was done in nine hours they walked into the studio without a song and walked out with the last time nine hours later (laughs) I gotta say, too, for only knowing one Snow Patrol song, I'm not an expert. This song sounds a lot like Chasing Cars. Mm. It sounds a lot like a Snow Patrol song, or the only one I have a frame of reference for. I like this song a lot. I, I don't know if I really know any Snow Patrol songs, but I like the Gary Lightbody feature. I think he belongs on the spin cycle now. Whoa, you're, is he your favorite feature on the album? I mean, there's only two. I'll save that for when we get to the other one. Okay. Suspicious, but okay. Yeah, we'll keep Snow Patrol in mind. This song actually was, I mean, really popular. 
I think I tend to overlook it in the context of the album, but people didn't. You know me, I'm the ballad guy. I, yeah, and this is a ballad here. And I, I don't overlook the chorus, I think. It's just everything around the chorus that kind of fades a little bit in my mind. I don't know. But it charted well around the world. Number 73 in Canada, 15 in Ireland, 25 in the UK, and number three on the bubbling under Hot 100 chart in the US, which is a chart for songs that aren't on the charts. Right? Bubbling under the Hot 100 for songs that aren't on the Hot 100. It's weird. I couldn't quite figure out why that exists. But it hit number three on the secondary charts, so that might be number 103. I'm not really sure. But she said the idea for the song was based on an experience I had with someone who's this unreliable guy. You never know when he's going to leave. You never know when he's going to come back, but he always does come back. He's saying, this is the last time I'm going to do this to you. And she's saying, this is the last time I'm asking you this. Don't do this again. So the last time is such a clever title, clever angle to put on this song, I think. It is. Because it's for both parties. This is the last time, or at least they're saying it is. That's pretty great. I think it's a unique track on this album, for sure. I don't, I don't think it has anything else like the last time. Mm. But anyway, let's get out of that unholy sky and talk more about holy ground. Do we get to go to the holy water next? Stay away from holy fire, though. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. I like holy ground a lot. <laughs> you know, this relationship falls apart, but the good times were still good, and there's no reason to let all that go. No reason to let the memories be spoiled. It's like holy ground, sacred space, all the places you went and the things you did, even though things can't be like that anymore. It was good. I also like that it's a fast song that has a softer side, especially in that pre-chorus. I like that balance. Uh, I don't remember this one as well. This one didn't stick with me. Really? Oh, Holy Ground sticks with me. I would put it in my top, I don't know, 16 tracks. It's at least in the top 10. Hmm. I don't know. I think. I've never properly thought it all out. I've never thought it all out either, but I don't know if it does make top 10. Wow. I'm just looking at what I have in my top three, and it's not in there. Spoiler alert, I have more than my normal. Ooh, okay, that's exciting. So it's, you know, it's only got a couple of slots it could go in <laughs> before it's not in my top 10. True. I mean, it's okay, I think, if I remember it. <laughs> you listen to it like six times. And twice at once. It's true. I definitely like it. I just like the sound and the feel of it. The song was produced by Jeff Basker, and she actually envisioned him working on the song as soon as she had it written, despite never having worked with him before. Like, she was just familiar with his other work, and she was like, that's the sound I want for this, which I think is really cool. Yeah. What do you think about Sad, Beautiful, Tragic? As the ballad guy, how does this ballad compare to something like The Last Time? It's also good. It's one I knew. Yeah, of course. But is it better? Is it worse? I did not like it as much. You didn't like it as much as The Last Time? Wow. I like it better than The Last Time. And Spotify agrees with me. Guess that's the last time I'm asking you that. Anyway, let me tell you now. I'm the lucky one? You're... Yeah. <laughs> you're the lucky one. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're the lucky one. Can you tell me now you're the lucky one? Wait, do you want to be the lucky one? I forget. No, the, that's a bad thing. It's like an ironic... Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. Then you're the lucky one, ha. Huh? Oh, no. The lucky one is up next. Track 13. Honestly, oh my gosh, 13 is her lucky number. I'm just now realizing that. Do you think that's intentional? Yeah, I think it is. Oh, my gosh. It is interesting just to look at, like, 
the Spotify play counts and stuff. And it's not like we've been hitting bad songs, but it's definitely in a replay rut, I think. I think this last stretch from like Stay, Stay, Stay down to The Lucky One seems to be among the least popular stretch of songs on this album, if you go by the Spotify plays. Which is interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? It's weird. However, everything has changed kind of presents a little blip in that it's an anomaly on the back half of the album man this song was so popular when it first came out was it because i don't remember hearing it around that much really i feel like it was always getting played yeah i don't think i did i feel like it got to the point was this a single yeah it was i swear like this was the song that like it got played so much that I just had to turn it off anytime I heard it. I got so sick of it. I heard it so much. Really? Yeah. Well, has that worn off all these years later? Has everything changed? Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Wow. Uh, yeah, I just don't remember hearing it that much. I definitely heard, like, I knew you were trouble a lot more. But this one features Ed Sheeran. Yes. Now do we get to know who your favorite guest on the album was? Yes. And it's Snow Patrol. Gary Lightbody. Snow Patrol. Oh, wow. Ed Sheeran does not win the favorite guest award. I think that's because I didn't really know the last time. I didn't remember it. It was fresh, whereas everything has changed. It was like one that I already know, and I already know of Ed Sheeran. Mm, fair. So I think Gary Lightbody gets a little bit of the unknown bias. The discovery bonus. The discovery bonus. That's a good term for it. Yeah, okay. I like that. So she actually wrote this song with Ed Sheeran on a trampoline, which... <laughs> on a trampoline. On a trampoline. I think that's a first for us. That's awesome. Does that get a Spin It Award? I think Taylor Swift gets the Bounciest Song Award. Bounciest Song? <laughs> I love it. We haven't given out a Spin It Award in a long time. That's because nobody's deserved one. Right. <laughs> Thematically, it's all about how just when love looks bleak, you run into somebody new and suddenly everything changes. Your whole outlook shifts and gets better. And it, I mean, I don't think it got overplayed for me, but it certainly was popular. It's certified two times platinum. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever see the music video for this one? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty certain that's where I saw it so much was on CMT. <laughs> oh, you might be right. Yeah, well, the music video features a pair of kids that start mm -hmm, as friends but mm -hmm. get little crushes on each other. The twist at the end is that they're the kids of Taylor and Ed. As soon as you said little kids, it all came flooding back to me. That's exactly where I saw it so much. Yeah. The hidden message in the liner notes for everything has changed says Hyannis Port. Apparently the song is about Connor Kennedy descendant of like the kennedy's kennedy's oh not my kennedy's no 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 like jf and bobby and the next song is about the kennedy's too starlight is the penultimate track and it's a 1940s theme song based on a picture that she saw of ethel and bobby kennedy huh interesting it is she said it's a black and white photo she said this was before i knew anything extensive about robert kennedy and ethel i just saw this picture of these two young kids dancing at a dance and i wrote this song just based on what i saw in the picture i think one of the standout lyrics not just in the song but on the whole album is don't you see the starlight don't you dream impossible things i love that I think Starlight's a great song. It's honestly such a good last uplift for the album. Yep. I like the guitar solo in this one. Yeah, it's a rare, like, substantial guitar solo. At least in this section of eras, Taylor doesn't have too many of those. I really don't have too, too much to say about Starlight. I just like it a lot. Yeah. Oh, I we forgot to talk about where we get sick of the album. Oh, are you about to say that? <laughs> because that's literally what I'm about to talk about. Is this where you got fatigued? I noticed it start on the lucky one, but then it went away. And then, and then this is where it really hits. Yes. Yes. 
I think I definitely the lucky one starts to pull me down too. Also, it shows how repetitive it is. I think, but I'm able to shake it off. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm good. And then Starlight just does the same thing to me, and I'm just like, man. We're not done yet. <laughs> I've been listening to this for a long time. Yes. No, this is me too. I start to hit a wall. It's been more than an hour into the album at this point, but I always just power through to the end. But it's not because Begin Again is a bad song. It just feels like you have to make it over that last hump. Like you got to get through one more and that's it. But definitely, I mean, 15, 16 tracks is long for an album, at least traditionally. And these aren't necessarily short tracks. You know, we're over an hour in and definitely you start to feel a little bit of that fatigue. But it's not insurmountable. It's funny to me, though, first of all, that I hit it so late, which I mean, seriously, that's a testament to how good the album is. (laughs) But also, it's weird to me that we hit it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's just where it's at. It's just where it's at. Let us know if you're out there and you listen to Red and you're like, whoa, when you hit that mark, you also felt the big slowdown hit the wall with us. Do it for research, for science. And then the album ends with Begin Again, which is, once again, phenomenal track to end an album. Yep. For title alone, really, but also thematically. She said, Begin Again is a song that I wrote about getting through a breakup and still being sad about it and feeling a little insecure about all the things that relationship made you feel are wrong with yourself. And after months and months and months, having the courage to stand back up, dust yourself off, and go on that first date. And it's about the vulnerability involved with that and the idea that you realize that, wow, this could be great. And honestly, I think Begin Again captures the first date vibes really, really well. I agree. I think it's just a sweet song. It's like just the right amount of everything. It's the perfect balance. And it always encourages me to start the album over. <laughs> the You know, the album ends with, I watched it begin again, and I'm going, you're right, I should begin again. Repeat, even though I just had the fatigue thing happen. Yeah. I always at least jump back into State of Grace and a few others. But it's time for us to jump into Final Spin. Oh, that's true. The hidden message, by the way, on that last song is, I wear heels now. Every time. I know, (laughs) which is a great hidden message. I think that's just cool. Yep. I like that. But yeah, it's final spin. So yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's talk about some scores. I feel like my scores are pretty predictable for this album. 16 tracks is a lot. For music, every song on this album is very, very memorable in its own way, musically. Sometimes, you know, we listen to an album and like three or four of the tracks are just gone as soon as I stop listening to them. That's never the case with anything on Red. Given music in 87, lyrically, there are a few magic tragic moments, but but the magic outweighs the tragic. And I think there's a lot of really vulnerable, personal, emotional stuff here that connects. So I'm giving lyrics an 88. Instruments and production... It's an interesting mix, right? I mean, this album is genreless, and there's so many different instruments. Like, there's a mix. It's eclectic, but honestly, it always works. I'm giving it a 90. And for the overall vibe, like I said, this is a transitional album, right? It touches her country roots, but it really, really pulls her in a pop direction. But it does it in a way that feels really seamless and without growing pains, like other albums that she's put out since. I think... It's tough to strike that balance, but she really, really nails it. Giving it a 90 for the vibe, that puts her overall score from me at an 89.2 and ranks this album at number 118. That's higher than Journey, isn't it? Pretty certain Journey was like 138. It's 137. Yes, 
It is slightly higher than Journey. It's true. Disappointing, but okay. But are you surprised? A little. Not surprised. Just disappointed. Okay, whatever. (laughs) But yeah, that's me. Now I'm really curious to hear about you. I like this album. Like it a lot. Well, good. Like both it and the taylor's version it sounds like you do because you listen to it twice at once i kind of think we should have done the taylor's version in my opinion it would have been two hours take the time of this album and double no i'm not saying i'm not saying do i'm just saying do the taylor's version up to where we did it you know where the original album was oh well sure that was always an option it's not what we did but to be fair there were some original songs that you said you liked better there were some there were some i'm just team taylor and you seem to be team monopoly that's not how it works i explained thoroughly that's not how music rights work it is though you gave money to the people who own the the masters or whatever no whatever Let's go ahead and jump into my score. Uh, stop trying to make me the villain when you're about to give this like a six. You're, no, you're the villain. Because <laughs> I'm giving this one nine out of ten. Good. Good. It deserved a nine. It did. I frankly would have been surprised as well as disappointed if it didn't get a nine from you. I'm getting this one nine double listens out of ten. Nine double listens. Cool. Because you found a way to cheat the system and listen more than once yesterday. Yeah. But but I can't even be mad because I don't blame you. As for my top three. Oh, we don't get to know where it goes in your nines yet? Oh, it goes. You can do whatever order you want. but Right below toto four wow below toto four i mean kind of shocks me you i mean per the pattern she belonged down with all the other country artists (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah why can't you see she belongs with them yeah she broke free of the both the country genre and the country area of the of my nines yeah it's true but also she goes below toto that's really what's shocking me really i love toto nothing on this album was africa well okay (laughs) i don't know if that's for better or for worse i also have to point out right now that we're on a tear i know i know you've given four straight nines the year of healing that's a new record right it's gotta be (laughs) the year i'm really I've been trying to heal us hard, and it sounds like it's been working. For now, we'll see how the streak continues. Yeah, yeah, we will. That's awesome. As for my top three in album order. Yeah, hit me with all those top threes. State of Grace. Yep. I Knew You Were Trouble. Ooh, wow. Jumping over title track red and treacherous. All Too Well. I knew you'd take that. All Too Well. Carnival Mention to I Almost Do. I don't know about you, but you weren't feeling 22. We are never ever getting back together. Good grief. You're taking so many. But that's only one additional. Yeah, we're not done yet. (laughs) The last time. Yeah. (laughs) And everything has changed. Oh, wow. It really wasn't that many. Three extras. Which I really only wanted to take two extra, but I just, I had to take a third. I'll regret that three weeks from now when I wish I had all my picks, but oh well. Oh well. Guess so. Sounds like you're going to have a hard time picking for the playlist. Yeah, what are you thinking? I don't know. I'm inclined towards all too well. All too well? I can get behind that one. I mean, I flat out, point blank, I feel like that's maybe the best song Taylor Swift has ever written. You did say that. I did say that, and I stand by it. Also, it hits every time it starts, so I like it on the playlist. Well, in that case, I'm going to take the most surprising track for me, The Last Time, featuring Gary Lightbody. Oh, no, really? Uh No, you're going to double ballad with a song that's maybe my least favorite? Unbelievable. I can't believe the last time is your least favorite. It's so good. It 
is now that I'm looking at it, I'm looking at all these tracks, absolutely ranked number 16 out of 16 for me. Whoa! It's so good! The harmonies. No, I mean, we're really, uh, if we take both of those, we're taking the first song and the last song for me. That's that's painful. Man. What would you prefer I take? Anything. Man. <laughs> I don't want to use a veto. If you use a veto, you're giving me a veto. <laughs> that's how that works. Oh, how about this? How about this? I'll swap you anything but the last time. And give you back one of your top threes. Deal. <laughs> I'll take that deal. <laughs> okay. All right. We're wheeling and dealing perks here. Yeah. Sorry, Gary Lightbody, but you'll have your time to shine. He is a light body. How about I almost do? You did say anything else. <laughs> okay. I did say anything else. So I can allow it. Yes. It still wouldn't be my pick. Still wouldn't be my second pick, but that's okay. I just, I'm in a ballad mood tonight. I need, I need ballads. Wow. What a roller coaster it's been. Indeed. But yeah, that's going to do it for this lengthy episode. It's a long one. Yeah. Couple last things you need to know. One, this is Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. For those of you tuning in just right now, weird choice jumping in at the end of the podcast, but I respect (laughs) it. (laughs) Okay, why not? Whatever. Two, you can find us on social media at Spin It Pod on Twitter, X, whatever, at Spin It Pod official on Instagram, threads, and most importantly, on the web at www.spinitpod.com, where again, you can find the entire B-side extended version of this episode, as well as all kinds of other goodies, our favorite songs playlist, and more. And three, we have a store. We're constantly always putting new stuff in it. That's true. Uh, I know, if not out by the time this is out, definitely coming out soon. Some Moon Era merch coming your way, so you can join us in our Moon Era. Yeah, it's not over yet. You can find the store on our website or just at Etsy. Spin It Pod, also on Etsy. But probably our website's the quickest way to take you to the Etsy page. Anyway, fourth thing you need to know. Stay tuned next Friday for another exciting episode of the podcast. We got a good one lined up. I'm excited about it, and you should be too. When does this come out? This one? Well, August has slipped away like a bottle of wine, and we're in September now, and uh, this comes out on September 8th. Number five, thing number five. (laughs) <laughs> oh, there's another thing. Yeah, there's another thing. Thing number five. Next Saturday, we're, we're live streaming. That's right. We're guests on another podcast. We'll be going live on twitch.tv slash bunnydefender, B-U-N-N-I-E-D-E-F-E-N-D-E-R. And we're talking about my favorite music. And your favorite music is called my favorite, <laughs> usually my favorite movies. But he's making a, a pivot yeah. for us to come and, and guest. And so we're very excited about that. Tune in. It'll be the 16th of September, 2023, in the evening, and it'll be a blast. I'm just looking forward to talking about music and having a good time. If you remember thing number one or two, whichever one was our socials, you can find more updates on that there. That's true, which is Spin It Pod and Spin It Pod Official and SpinItPod.com. And thing six? A lot of things here. I don't know. There's a B-side <laughs> list of things. And be sure to like, follow, subscribe, share, tell a friend who doesn't listen to enough Taylor Swift about this episode. Maybe we could change, we can we can fix them. Make a friend double listen to this podcast episode. Oh, <laughs> oh that'd be awesome. Put the B side in one ear and the normal side in the other and just see. And then let them race. See who finishes first. Well, one's going to win. Uh, the shorter one's definitely going to finish first. Anyway, give it a try and let us know. Not even we have done that. But we'll see you next week. And until then, keep spinning. Keep spinning. Ba-da-da-da-da-da.
So what do I need to do to graduate from a Swifty life? How do I get to be like full Swifty? What's the threshold? Is it just more sugar? More calories? Am I, is it like a pop? Is it like a soda situation where light just designates not as much stuff? Yeah, I would say light is just like not as much enthusiasm. Wow, okay. So I'm just not, I'm not into it enough. Yeah, a real Swifty would have picked the Taylor's version. Okay. Monster. <laughs>